0: This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families.
1: 2020. Arguably one of the most pivotal years we'll have experienced in our lifetimes, or at least in recent memory. Centered around the coronavirus pandemic, but also flanked by disruptions across politics, the economy, nature, and climate. Rare was an aspect of daily living not altered during this year. And child welfare was not immune either. And we're still adjusting. Hello everyone, Tom Oates here, and welcome in to the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. It has been a time of question, reflection, innovation, and adaptation. What we do know about 2020 is that we're coming out of the year different than when we came in. So here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast, we're spending a few episodes looking at what the child welfare learned from 2020. Now, with so much swirling around our lives during the year, it's been exhausting physically and emotionally draining. So in this episode, we're focusing on how the fog of stress, uncertainty, and fear impacted caseworkers, what those in the field can do to mitigate and address the impacts of stress and trauma, and what's been learned from interventions with agencies to increase resiliency and support among managers, supervisors, and caseworkers. Now, there will be other episodes on what child welfare learned from 2020 that focus on reviewing the policies and shifting power around service delivery and how the child welfare field can come to terms and reconcile with racism and inequities within the system. Now, this episode, we are talking with Dr. Andrew Winters. He's an assistant professor at the University of Louisville-Kent School of Social Work and on the advisory board for the Center for Family and Community Wellbeing. He's also a member of the Quality Improvement Center for Workforce Development. So when the pandemic first began impacting lives through lockdowns, school and office closures, and social distancing orders, the QIC for Workforce Development hosted a webinar. Coping in the Time of COVID-19, Evidence-Informed Strategies to Support You and the Child Welfare Workforce. That webinar was produced and distributed to introduce to folks the reactions to pandemics and share techniques to manage relationships with the stressors. And we start our conversation there. I encourage you to listen and reflect on the guidance and try to incorporate some of the self-care techniques. There's plenty there for caseworkers, supervisors, and really anyone, as no one's been immune to the increased stress and trauma of the past year. Andrew Wenders, welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Thank you, it's nice to be here. So let's start, I guess, from the beginning, which really starts you know, around March for, for a lot of folks, uh, and start with the webinar that uh, the, the QIC for Workforce Development, the QUIC, uh, put together. What was the QUIC hearing or, or seeing from the field that made them create and, and host the webinar?
2: The QUIC provided a national webinar in April to address concerns of what to expect in the age of pandemics and how to cope and support the child welfare workforce. And the child welfare workforce, as we know, had to quickly adapt and adjust to working from home. And we were hearing about difficulties with a work-life balance and concerns of shared traumatic stress both the workforce and child welfare-involved families were experiencing as the same external stressor of COVID.
1: So with all of that, and rightfully so, we were kind of feeling it across, you know, the the planet, the country, at least. Um, but we were all experiencing it so fast. And at the same time, I'm curious to what you found, um, you know, what was actually happening to us, some of those, uh, those psychological reactions to a pandemic and, and the external trauma that's happening outside. I mean, it's 2020. So the pandemic was just part of this tumult that was rolling around. Um, what, were, what were some of those reactions that people may have not recognized at first uh, to what was happening? Yeah,
2: yeah, great question. Um, Fear, indifference or fatalism, um, repetitive checking and reassurance seeking, clinging to conspiracy theories and even mass panic. Um, These can lead to, and we saw that they did indeed lead to mood disorders like depression, anxiety,
1: Post-traumatic stress disorder and even substance abuse. So then, along with all of that, then there are the stressors that pile on. You know, with all of that. So, with within just the pandemic environment, what are those stressors that you guys saw?
2: Uncertainty,
1: uh, right. confusion, a sense of urgency,
2: um, severe disruptions in routines, school closures, virtual school. <laughs> stressors and stressors on the healthcare system, um, wage loss, and the economic breakdown leading to a recession or potential recession or depression. And I think one of the things that we saw that um, and continue to see is the separation from family, friends, and coworkers, and social isolation, uh, especially when family members are sick or hospitalized or dying, and the inability to bury and memorialize and honor those we've lost whether it be due to the pandemic or another call.
1: yeah, I, I, I personally can recall attending a funeral via uh, a streaming service, uh, which which was surreal. In 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 watching that, and, and just you know, as our, as we go through our our normal lives, and you say that kind of in quotations, I remember a lot of folks talking about you know, if if you were still working, it wasn't just adjusting to working at home, but we always found ourselves working. With home, where yes. you're, you're 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 your own employee, but at the same time you are a parent, you are a teacher, and and there's no there's no commute to kind of take one hat off and put a new hat on, and okay now you're at home, and now you're a parent, or now you're a spouse, you are everything all at once, and everything blurred blurred together. Um, as we dive, you know, a little bit more specific into you know the child welfare workforce. Um, And you talked about some of the big picture stressors that were really happening that, you know, uh, lingered and and, and affected so many uh, across the country, specifically to the child welfare workforce. What were some of those stressors unique to to caseworkers?
2: Yes, Uh, the difficulty in keeping uh, up with children and out of home care. the the difficulty in keeping children in touch with their families and the difficulty in investigating child abuse and neglect. Um, Knowing that child abuse and neglect will increase potentially and be more severe in light of the stress on families and knowing that intimate partner violence can also increase. You know, children will potentially and are potentially still concerned about incarcerated parents dying Or parents could their parents could die while they're in out of home care, and similarly, parents worrying that their children could die while in out of home care.
1: This falls under the big picture, and for really in the child welfare workforce, their jobs are to be connected to their clients to their their families, and so you know it it falls under the big picture of trying to react to the unknown, uh, especially when you are supposed to have the answers or, or, or be, the, be that person to connect somebody to the resources or whatever it is that somebody needs, not knowing, not having a, a real good insight on what's happening, uh, you know, those, those those stressors that just kind of fit with this profession and others that are in involved in human services. So then the psychological stressors or burdens that caseworkers are, are dealing with, not only with those stressors and the unknowns of the work, but what kind of what what are those other burdens that they're dealing with uh, on top of the other stressors that we all face? Yeah,
2: yeah. So as we know, child welfare workers are not classified as essential workers. Mm. However, they have the mandate to continue and work with families without the additional pay or protection, such as high-level PPE. And this can cause a heightened risk of personal infection, sickness or death, or even worry that they will inadvertently spread infection to others that they're close to. Um, child welfare workers risk double exposure of being both a citizen where the event occurs and working with individuals in the same community. Um, concerns about funding, agency funding cuts and job security and having to work in this new virtual setting without the needed tools or supports to
1: do so. I mean, there's enough stress in the work itself. Um, but as we start to add all of these other factors What's piling on um, to for caseworkers, and how did they find themselves reacting? I mean, things were happening so quickly in March and April and May um, that we felt something, but we weren't sure what it was. And people would say, "Oh no, it's grief," or "It's just a malaise," or "It's just a depression," or "It's just nobody's at, you know nobody has control." What did you find all of that? You know, when it when it comes to caseworkers, you know. How could you identify or would, you know, are you able to identify here is what you're feeling and here's why?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's a great question. Um, it, what we what we saw was uh, for the, the child welfare workforce. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they're not essential workers, and yet they have the mandate to do this work. So th- there was this uh, movement forward um, one way or the other. Um, so what does that do to the, to the individual? Well, there's the potential for secondary traumatic stress to occur, you had mentioned earlier, um, it, it's the confounding effects of home life mixed with work life, mixed with family life, all of those things are occurring at the same time and now there's no boundary there. So how do, I, how do I, as a child welfare worker, create those boundaries? How do I create that so that I'm not taking the stress that I'm feeling at work, that now is also <laughs> in my home environment that I'm trying to do? How do I not project that onto family? How do I not project that onto um, you know, the
1: loved ones, those that I'm with? So Um, with that, I guess the idea is now, how do you manage it, right? Uh, There's only so much you can control, but you can control um, yourself and your reactions. But it is difficult when you actually can't separate yourself, as you were mentioning, you know, kind of put the work hat off and and put the new hat on. Um, So then for those individuals, because, you know, this is also the thing, we're separated from our coworkers as well. How can an individual kind of reduce that stress that's coming into their lives.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you had mentioned uh, access to coworkers. So there's really two components there. One is when we talk about the child welfare workforce, we talk about the individual child welfare worker, and we also talk about the organization that the child, that the worker works in. So they had to, in some ways, manage that themselves because they were at home. So they were no longer within the organization in which they uh, one would hope that they could find support in, that they would be able to tap into a supervisor or a co-worker to assist with how they're feeling um, if they have a, an adverse experience with a client or a client has an adverse experience and the worker's then trying to help them with that. So they don't have anywhere to go with that. So it's really a two-fold component is how does a child welfare worker as an individual manage this? And then not knowing that they uh, act. Also, cannot access the organization in which they work. So it was really a twofold component, as you're talking about.
1: So, how does first off the individual? How do they maybe reduce the stress that's coming into their lives?
2: Yeah. So so there's some key components to how we reduce stress, right? Um, And one is we critically evaluate the information that we are receiving. So that can be the news source in which we're. We evaluate the news source in which we're receiving the information. Um, We uh, limit the amount that we are consuming um, and we tailor what we are consuming to our needs. For example, um, if we uh, only receive our news from one particular news outlet and that news outlet could be biased, we are receiving not only the news, but news that is biased. So we are taking all of that in and taking it in as fact and not critically evaluating whether or not it's fact or whether or not it's fiction. And that can create additional stressors for us. So critically evaluating the information that we receive. Um, Rejecting the principle of scarcity. Um, So um, making a rational plan for ourselves of what we need and how we're gonna get it. uh, and don't be swayed again by uh, media influences that suggest we will not have enough. Um, uh, set and reach goals uh, that may not be possible due to lack of time. Um, we can put off things um, uh, because we don't have enough time. And you know, one way to look at this pandemic is let one positive outcome of this be that we accomplished something that we potentially were putting off. Um, And I can't stress this one enough, and I'm sure I'll say it again as we're together here, but live in the present um, by appreciating the small daily pleasures um, that we usually don't have time to notice um, and focus on what we're thankful for, what went well, what is enjoyable in the moment for each day. Um, that's, That's really a... A critical way for how we as individuals can manage our own stress, because one way we talk about the child welfare workforce and the additional stressors that they have not being essential workers and, you know, having to go out and work without the additional payer out without feeling the support um, of the, the. A nation saying you are not essential and not being connected to a an organization, not being able to go into an organization for support from their supervisor or from their peers. So managing all of this individually, um, you know, being able to live in the present, being able to um, embrace time to build relationships and, again, critically evaluating the information that we're receiving and really being judicious in how and what we take in
1: and how and which we take it in. Yeah, there, there is an aspect of taking back control. Uh, you know, we, we feel like everything is just piling on us everywhere you turn, be, you know, everywhere you turn your, you know, like turning on your TV or turning on your email. It's just coming at you and coming at you. You bring up some good points of, of, of kind of being your own filter. And, you know, let's let's make sure we take time to, you know, manage our own energy or where am I spending my attention and what am I letting that do or, or not do? Uh, to me so kind of being being cognizant of your own kind of filter that you can add to the to the to the information that's coming outside or 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 the clock to say nope now's the time I put this down and now's the time i i, I do I do something else to have a little bit of of control um, it, it, it
2: we, is about that it it is about this, this this idea of like as you you you've used the Um, reference of multiple hats. Um, So at at any given point, a child welfare worker is going to perhaps have four hats on at the same time as they're trying to help their children with virtual school and um, manage their job and manage home life. Um, So a number of different things. And it's what do I have in my control and how do I create those boundaries and how do I create those separations? Because if, if not the the worker is only as good to all, any, all of us are, but specifically a child welfare worker is only as good to all of those external things that we're talking about, work and children and family, as they are to themselves. So by us creating those boundaries, by us creating those parameters for ourselves, um, it, we are only, we are being, we are, by doing that, we are saying we are wanting to be the best parent. We are wanting to be the yeah. best child welfare worker. We're wanting to be the best spouse. Whatever
1: that may be. of course, that doesn't mean we're invincible, right? It doesn't mean, you know, the stress will never come in because I am able to, you know, will it away. No, that's not true. Uh, we were able to kind of reduce the stress, but stress still happens that the, the trauma that we're still feeling it is there. So knowing that that stress is going to occur, uh, what what are you guys suggesting or what were you finding the best for, for, for child welfare workers to mitigate the impacts of those stress? You brought up earlier about what does this do to us? Uh, well, if you can limit the stress, that's one thing, but that doesn't mean that all the stress is going to you know, magically go away. So once you are in those peaks and valleys – uh, what are you guys suggesting in ter- terms of, of, you know, an individual caseworker or a person trying to mitigate the impacts of that stress and trauma that they're feeling?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so, yeah, we can mitigate the impacts of stress and trauma by addressing our physical, psychological and social health. And some of the things that I'm going to talk about here are not new and they are not intended to be new. They, they are intended to be a reminder for us that, oh, th- these are things we have in our control. These are things that I can do to directly help me and the families I serve and my own family. Um, and from a physical health perspective, there are three main categories of diet, exercise, and sleep. Um, so from a diet perspective, it, you know, I mean, these are, again, are not new and they are not intended to be. They are intended to be reminders, but... Eat a balanced diet, drink eight glasses of water a day, avoid inflammatory foods, and limit the amount of alcohol we consume. Um, From an exercise perspective with, you know, in in a lot of states, gyms are closed or gyms are limited. Um, Develop an exercise routine for ourselves. Exercise is really important for our physical and emotional health Um, and keeping our bodies active in some sort of way. And sleep. Um, so as we know, sleep is a critical component to our health and mental health, but may be difficult due to anxiety, disrupted schedules or routines or other barriers. And as I was saying earlier, this idea of like taking in information and having nowhere to go. If if, my, if the four walls of my home are all I have seen since March, perhaps with, with very little um, outside activity, it can start to feel like they are closing in on me. So Um, really having some, um, developing a healthy sleep routine can be important and there's some best practices there. And um, uh, those include uh, going to bed and waking up at the same time every day, having a bedtime routine that starts 30 to 60 minutes out each night and includes the same series of steps for sort of telling our bodies it's time to relax, it's time to go to bed, Um, sleep in a cool dark room um, best practice is the optimal temperature is 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Limit blue light technology in our rooms and stop using technology 30 minutes before bed. Um, avoiding alcohol and exercise before bed as I can uh, uh, both wake us up. So um, a- again, not intended to be new, intended to be a reminder um, of just things that we can do to create a healthy sleep cycle because we are our best our, our health and our mental health are best when we can get sleep.
1: Well, you bring up a point similar to what you said earlier in terms of mitigating like our information, you know, how much are we going to absorb? How, how are we going to, how much are we going to let come in to us? Uh, and a lot of that is, you know, you may look at that as, as dealing with the mental part of stress of what is this doing? And man, now I'm starting to think more and I'm wondering about the world outside because I'm watching this. Well, you just brought up three areas about the physical side of stress, of, you know, e- eating things that aren't going to upset my stomach or things that aren't going to cause me to tr- toss and turn at night um, or, or, you know, doing things that will actually help reduce the stress that maybe I'm putting on myself physically or getting a chance to exert some of that stress, be it just, you know, outside walking or it's every, you know, whatever you, you know, your routine is, if it's, you know, 10 minutes of, of, of push-ups or stretching or whatever it is to kind of help your body Get rid of some of that stress or prevent that stress coming in. Just as you had mentioned earlier, the mental side uh, as well. So are, there are these there are these various aspects that that, that that we can do to kind of and it is it's defending ourselves against you know the the impacts of that stress and trauma. But everything we've talked about right now is about the individual, uh, which is great. It, it arms those caseworkers. It arms all of us on what we can do on a day to day basis, but. You did touch base and we kind of talked about the the lack of connection with our coworkers. but we still do connect. Those meetings still happen. They may not be walking right down the hall to, you know, somebody else's cube or somebody else's office and saying, hey, you got a quick moment. Those oh, by the way meetings may not happen as much. But if a supervisor and supervisee will still do a, a, a weekly tag up or if there's, you know, those things are still scheduled, there's the opportunity there for those supervisors and managers and coworkers to help play a role. So uh, ideally, what would be that role that a supervisor or a manager can play in helping their staff kind of recover and, and mitigate from this secondary traumatic stress? Yes.
2: Yeah, so, so I'll start with something that I'll also end with here. And that is consistency (laughs) Um, from the uh, perspective of the supervisor. um, Consistency is just so critical um, and being in uh, to address the point you made about our current environment, being really intentional about reaching out to workers, being intentional with um, addressing how the worker is feeling and how the worker is managing what, you know, these multiple, again, the, the, hat reference that these multiple hats that they are wearing. Um, th- there is a process that I would like to talk about here that I that that could be helpful for supervisors, and that is this idea of like how do I provide solace and then how do I help them move towards solving a problem, whatever that problem may be? Um, so um, uh, uh, solace, uh, there's sort of some steps in the process there. Uh, solace itself provides nurturance and tends to the person's emotional state, especially after trauma exposure, by showing compassion. Um, so we want to start by just checking in with the worker to make sure they are okay. How are you doing today? How are you managing things? Um, if there's emotion, an emotion that needs to be attended to about a client, make sure that they attend to the emotion before the worker sort of takes that in. Uh, can become hardened towards the client or their secondary traumatic stress responses come up, start to emote. Um, uh, If they need encouragement, give it to them. If they need a break or time off, find out a way to make that happen. And modeling vulnerabilities, so the supervisor letting the worker know, I too am wearing multiple hats, I too am having problems here, I too am trying to balance out all of these things in a virtual world, in a world that doesn't feel safe to me right now, and I'm I'm also going through some very similar experiences. So modeling that vulnerability to let workers know that they're not in this by themselves. And once we have established that the worker is okay, then we can move towards solving behaviors. And this is all about how does the supervisor know and understand their uh, workers. Um, Some workers uh, may do better if you engage them in questions um, and they can come up with the solution themselves. Whereas others um, may need more tangible support, um, such as helping them with work tasks like safety plans or time management. Um, also, you know, getting them a coach if they need that. Um, uh, the supervisor can give really specific feedback about what it is that you will need to move, to move this problem forward. And again, Uh, I, I said I would end with where I started and that is consistency above all is really critical here in part because if I am a child welfare worker and you, Tom, are my supervisor, if you become upset or frustrated with me about paperwork, I may be scared to tell you about big issues that happen with the families. So just that consistency of interaction that we have letting me know that, okay, yes, I... I'm behind on my paperwork and you will, you're checking in with me and we're going to develop a plan for this. We're going to solve this. So I feel safe so that now that I'm trying to manage this world vir- vir- virtually or going out and potentially, um, you know, f- feeling anxiety about the pandemic and whether or not I am going to get COVID or uh, the virus or whether or not I'm going to give the virus, Um and have a negative interaction with a family, feeling safe enough to be able to come to you and talk about that. So consistency.
1: Yeah, and, and this could sound different for a manager or a supervisor in terms of their normal, how do I approach my staff? How do I approach you know, the work engaging them? Because sometimes it is more about, hey, managing the cases. What do you need? Has this been done? Has that been done? To how are you? And, you know, what, what can I take off your plate or what's bugging you? Uh, and this may cause some some of the supervisors, managers to look at their world, their role a little differently, won't it?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, as we see it, it's really a dual process here. It is how does the supervisor take care of the worker? And then how does the supervisor take care of themselves? Because as I said to you earlier, we are only as good to um, our family and friends. If if we're wearing the multiple hats, we are only as good to all of those as we are to ourselves. And the same dynamic is present in child welfare. We are only as good to our workers as we are to ourselves. So if I am encouraging my worker to um, take care of themselves and I'm gonna be consistent in my interactions with them and I'm going to help them develop plans, whatever that looks like for that particular worker, then I need to do all of that for myself. I need to seek support for myself. I need to um, find new ways to connect with staff virtually on a regular basis. I need to find ways that I can, where where am I going to receive solace? And where am I going for my own solace <laughs> to help me solve problems? Because it all can pile on, but we we have to be able to manage that as well as super.
1: And part of that actually goes back to a little bit of the vulnerability you talked about of expressing that even to your own staff. And we're not we're not all made of stone Uh, and and being able to vent a little bit back and forth to have that dialogue can can build a little bit more trust and also gives can give that manager or that caseworker um, a, a, a sense of maybe somebody to at least alleviate some of that stress, um, for themselves. You know, I, the, the quality improvement center for workforce development has clearly been working with agencies and, 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 jurisdictions. I'm curious to the interventions that, uh, have been applied and and the lessons that have been learned, uh, from what the the QIC for workforce development has been up to.
2: Yeah. So in one of our sites, um, The needs assessment uh, conducted uh, back in uh, 2018 actually, Um, it was a year long needs assessment, uh, indicated the culture of the child welfare organization was not flexible and staff were resistant to change, um, which created an unhealthy work environment, as I was talking about earlier. Staff are less engaged and showed signs of high burnout and secondary traumatic stress. So the needs assessment was showing us all of these things and the solution agreed upon with child welfare and the interventionist was aimed at three levels engage top leadership and administrators and becoming more trauma-informed to increase organizational flexibility by engaging in coaching and supportive supervision provide frontline supervisors with coaching and supportive supervision skills while also providing the opportunity to build a support network among themselves. So I'd mentioned earlier supervisors taking care of themselves, so not relying on workers, our workers to take care of us, but us seeking that out with our own peer group um, is really a, a critical component there. And the aim was to increase resiliency skills and manage the supervisors own burnout and secondary traumatic stress. And the third was to provide an opportunity for frontline staff to form support networks and gain resiliency skills. And the aim here was to change the way workers react to stress in the building and in the field, so to create a calmer work environment. Um, And by them creating support networks for themselves as frontline workers, they could also hold each other accountable in using resiliency skills. Um, For instance, if I come back to the office and I'm flustered um, if you and I are support, if we know these behaviors, if we know these resiliency skills, you can say, hey, how about you do this? How about you take a time out? How about you take some deep breaths? Let's actually, you know, relax a bit before we get into talking about what's going on. Let's take care of
1: you. And then let's talk about what's going on. So we can all hold each other accountable. So in this environment, and, and clearly, you you know, it's a culture, Right, It is a culture of how are we going to be, be uh, maybe reacting to this together because then that breeds acceptance of I'm in this, I'm going to change, you're changing with me. Okay, we can do this together. I don't feel like I'm going to get any pushback. Maybe there's some reinforcement and you can start to build that, that culture. Um, right now- um, at least in this now virtual world that, we're, that we, you know, we come to at the end of 2020, how can a manager then really ensure that they have the capacity to handle the needs of their caseworkers, knowing we are still you know, in, in various stages of this remote work, underlying fear, the, 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 you know, the, just the, the tumult, again, that's, that's happening around us. Uh, what can a manager do right now? To kind of ensure that they they at least start to have or maybe can build that capacity.
2: So there's really a, when we think when we think about that um, there's sort of three components. Um, one is for the supervisor or manager to be aware of their own barriers to being supportive um, and acknowledging those, and then seeking support. Or how do, how do I manage those? So high levels of anxiety are one that we see and focusing on pressures of the job and meeting timelines. So being aware of our own barriers to being supportive. If if, if you are my supervisor again and I am the worker and I um, y- you are uh, focusing on anxiety or you're focusing on the job needs, I'm, I may not even feel like you are approachable. So me being aware of that and being intentional about my interactions with you. And then seeking support of our, my, as a supervisor in this scenario, you, um, seeking support um, and relying on your peers um, when needed. So really, those are some critical components there and how we can ensure that we have the capacity to do that. We are only as good to our caseworkers as we are to ourselves.
1: Yeah, There's an element of actually proactively reaching out, right? Reaching out to your friends, reaching out to your coworkers. Doing taking intentional. Yeah, right. Because um, you you can't just have that walking down the hallway and you come across somebody and and just kind of vent. You know, you we have those. those hallway meetings, those oh by the way meetings, which really which really work in a great in an office setting. But when you don't have that, you 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 have to kind of you know knock on their door via that Zoom call or via that that IM or that email or you know, hey, if you guys if you guys are old enough than me, maybe you remember the phone when was to, name, to, to talk, talk to people. people. Um, So we talk about climate and culture, as you've mentioned. I'm curious to get a sense of the elements of an agency's culture and climate that can maybe best support this healthy stress management. Because we can talk about whatever the new normal is, but we know it will be different from the past. And so knowing that this is going to be some semblance of a transition that we're dealing with whenever we hit stability again, but what are kind of those elements of that culture and climate that that you'd like to see that can maybe, yeah, again, support that healthy stress management?
2: Yeah. So within the organization, uh, the, the organization is is only as healthy as the people who work within it. Um, so the, the components really are the, to to create a healthy organization are all about the people. Um, so an agency's culture and climate are heavily influenced by leaders um, and includes behaviors, uh, uh, reactions to behaviors and stress um, within the organization. Um, uh, the more people emote loudly when disappointments or frustrations are, account- are encountered, the more this sets others in the workplace on edge and can create this contagion effect. So, being aware of one's own stress reactions, um, working to regulate emotions and working to view the work with families and children, as well as internal and external colleagues through an optimistic, hopeful or resilient lens can also help create more psychological and safety and health within the organization. Um, Leaders at all levels of the organization can serve as a safe place for initiating and sustaining adaptive changes and can serve as a safe haven for dealing with stress of all types. So it's all about how do I take care of me and how do I help you to, or how do I help you understand how to take care of you? Um, and that, uh, we I'd said it earlier, but that vulnerability, uh, modeling vulnerability, modeling transparency, those are some key elements to creating and sustaining a healthy organization.
1: If you were to recommend to agency leaders uh, about what's the first step to get to that future that you're describing, right? Because we already know that the the pace and the timing and everybody's kind of at full, just they're at full tilt boogie, right? They just, there's not enough time for me even to compress what's going on because I've got other bunch of stuff going on, blah, 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 blah. What would be that first step that you would recommend to an agency leader to, to kind of establish those skills within their staff where they can kind of manage their energy and really build resiliency?
2: Yes. So understanding themselves. So if a leader is wanting to bring this into the organization, wanting to change the culture and climate of an organization, they, they need to start with themselves to understand their own triggers and understand from their perspective how they are leading the organization, and then from there, make a plan, put a, a, a develop a plan, a step-by-step plan of how they are going to then implement these changes within an organization. If I, the leader, seek out this new best practice, and I'm like, oh, we're going to change the organizational culture, that's everybody below me, everybody down here is going to have to take this training, everyone down here is going to have to do the work, but I'm going to continue to function in this sort of chaotic way that interacts with staff where they can't trust me, they can't trust that if I come to them and and present, you know, issues to them or concerns to them that I will be responsive as the leader in some sort of way, then everything I do will be for naught. So me understanding me and what I'm bringing to this as a leader um, and managing that first, and then developing a successive plan of how we're going to implement that within the, implement these changes
1: within an organization. Well, it's a theme you've said for, for, for throughout this conversation, I cannot be good. You know, I, the benefits that I'm looking to uh, provide are only going to be as good as I can do for myself. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm totally butchering the way you, you put it, but I need to be at my best for others to get the best out of me. Uh, yes. and so so if somebody's looking to change their agency or shift you know within their staff, they've got to start with themselves first and it's that's, yes. that's, that's where you have the most control uh, and where you can have the most impact uh, and then you have to model it and then you have to, to to build it and grow and it's it's not exactly like the training is over and now you're fully proficient and everything's gonna be rosy come Monday. Um, it's it's a continuous work in progress and it starts from within.
2: Correct, yeah, being intentional mm-hmm. I think is really a, a critical component there.
1: Um, yeah. Dr. Andrew Winters, I thank you so much uh, for your time, for your energy, um, and and for for the guidance where some of it may seem uh, simple or some of the stuff may have been something somebody has heard before, but maybe we need to hear it over and over and over again for it to, to, to stick. Uh, and as we deal with whatever the future holds, um, we can start to manage today uh, a little bit better. So thank you so much for your time and so glad that you were able to be a part of us here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast.
2: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
1: Now, I want to share some of the elements of the webinar that we talked about at the beginning of the conversation. So if you head on over to childwelfare.gov, just search podcasts, we'll have links to a few of the different parts of the webinar, including Dr. Winters specifically addressing managing stress while working from home during the pandemic, and other portions of the webinar discussing what we know about pandemics and the stresses that they cause. We'll also provide links to the QIC, along with Information Gateway's resources, around caseworker care and secondary traumatic stress. Again, just visit childwelfare.gov for this episode's page, and the episode, of course, What Did Child Welfare Learn from 2020? Caseworker Care. And to reiterate what Andrew stated a few times, we can't give our best to others unless we are at our best. And that means taking care of ourselves. So, hey, check out the other episodes of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and visit childwelfare.gov for your informational needs surrounding best practices, contact information, state statutes, laws, policies, and resources, all created to support the entire child welfare continuum. Well, that is it for this episode of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. As always, we are grateful for your time and your willingness to be a part of this community. I'm Tom Oates. Have a great day.
0: Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.